0: I don't know why, but it fucking irks me just a little bit. Radio-drome. Welcome to another episode of Radiodrome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is not Pete. Well, there's a Pete here, but it's not... Pete from Canada. It's not Peter Gogic. And Cecil was already off this week. Peter Schirilla from New York slash Ohio is here. 42nd Street, Pete. That's a long intro.
1: Okay, we'll go with 42nd Street, Pete, because I hate to use my real name because most people can't pronounce it. So. I
0: pronounced it right, didn't I? I don't
1: know. I don't even pay attention anymore. <laughs> that, that's
0: fair. Well, if you guys want to help out the show, we have a Patreon. Just look for Radio Drome over at Patreon, where there's Josh Hadley. You can also go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code drome d-r-o-m-e and you will get 50 percent off of a single item three free dvds a free sex swing and free u.s shipping all you have to do is use the promo code drome at adamandeve.com so tonight i wanted to talk to you a little bit pete about Video because you know the eighties are a big thing. Everything is retro. I, I I was at I was at either Walmart or Target the other day and they have all these eighties retro t shirts that are in like VHS style boxes and the images have tape hits on them and everything. Video is back in a big way.
1: It had already made its comeback, you know, as far as being a collectible. But the problem with that is only certain VHS were collectible. I mean, the mainstream stuff obviously isn't. I had envisioned when I was a kid that someday you could see a movie of your choice somehow on TV, you know, and, we, you know, kids my age, you know, I'm 66 now. All we had was basically, you know, you bought the 8 millimeter Ken and Castle films that were condensed versions of, you know, monster movies and stuff like that that ran about 12 minutes, and that was as good as it got. But I always envisioned something, and Sure and hell, technology, I guess it had to be, I don't know, seventy-nine, eighty when it first came about where you could, you know, buy this big clunky monstrous uh, VHS or beta deck for close to $1,000 or more and, you know, watch a movie on your TV. That was revolutionary at the time what
0: was it like when video first came in i remember once it started to really pick up in the 80s vhs really started around 77 78 no one knew what to do with this thing like charles band no matter what you think of him saw the future because originally you had one company that had like i think 15 fox titles and then charles band came in with Mita entertainment and then this was all so new he literally said his lawyers did didn't even know how to write the language trying to license these films because this had never been done before. The VHS in this era was like a the wild wild West wasn't it
1: Yeah and the other thing was too that you know okay a lot of people had licensed stuff for VHS but nobody saw DVDs coming so that that turned to be out to be another whole fiasco well we'll stick with we'll stick with the VHS because that's where it's at you're right there was a video company uh God. They had all the Allied Artist stuff. They had Attack of the Crab Monsters, things like that. That was one company. It was Magnetic video. That might have been the one you're talking about. I
0: I think Magnetic was the one with the Fox titles.
1: Everybody wanted to jump on this, but nobody really knew how it was going to work. And the thing was... You know, it's like anything else. Until there's a lot of it on the market, it's as it's expensive as all get out. Now, my first VHS deck was $900. It was a Magnavox. It had a wired remote and weighed about 80 pounds. And had like piano keys for, you know, you didn't have, you know, soft touch or anything. You had to depress a key, click, play and record had to go down at the same time, things like that. My first two video tapes, because I was a complete mark at the time, I drove over to Video Shack on 40. Uh, it was on Broadway. Broadway and it might have been forty fourth Street, I think. And they were open till two o'clock in the morning. So the first two movies I bought for fifty nine ninety five each were Night of the Living Dead and Assault on Precinct Thirteen.
0: Those would be Mita titles then. Magnetic had the Fox titles. They had like Patton and things like that, which were all at that point two, three years out of date movies by the time he did it because Fox just basically said, we're not sure about this video thing, so we'll sell him some of the older titles. He's not getting stuff like Alien and things like that. He's not getting some of our big titles right now. Right. We see how this shakes out. But then when Mita came in, and I've read this list off before, I've got an old Mita tape from 1978. And on the back, it shows everything that was available. Feature films, Halloween, The Groove Tube, Slithis, Night of the Living Dead, Tunnel Vision, Laser Blast, Flesh Gordon, Alice in Wonderland, The Porno, Assault on Precinct 13, Jungle Book, and then it's got a bunch of rock concerts like 20 Years of Rock and Roll, Rod Stewart, yes, a Cheech and Chong concert, Jimi Hendrix, and then it's got animated films, Superman, Shame of the Jungle, Fantastic Animation Festival, Gulliver's Travels, and classic cartoons of the 30s. Now put that together with the 15 titles from Fox. That's it. That's all that was commercially available in 1978. There's a pattern here, like do you notice that the Mita stuff are not titles that your average
1: home is going to buy a vcr for See, that that was that was the whole thing he he had a great he he had a great like sense of what was going to be able to rent because you weren't buying these in the beginning you could you rented them that was it you 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 know you could buy them if you wanted to be a mark like me and spend the 60 bucks a tape he knew the stuff would rent that's you know basically what a lot of these guys you know i'm trying to think damn i wish i could remember the damn name of it um like i said they had the allied artist stuff and it wasn't magnetic video it was a white and purple box and it had a picture of the from the movie like the crab monsters had the famous scene with the crab holding the guy on the ground in the cave, you know, things like that. I can't feel Allied Artist Video. That's what it was. Allied artist video. So they they jumped on their own thing because you know Allied Artists became United Artists, which merged with MGM. But blah blah but we all know that whole deal. Mita became Media
0: down the line too. So yeah,
1: they were all renting this stuff first, and like you said, no nobody really knew you know the ins and outs of the licensing. And then of course, porn industry jumped right in on this, and of course they put a ticket on these things of nine ninety nine ninety five each. So well, I can, yeah, because you're paying for the privilege of being able to
0: jerk off in your own house instead of in some sleazy porno theater
1: where you might shoot Pee Wee Herman in the back of the head. Or have the guy next tickle your balls. Well, you know, well they're going to go there anyway. The whole thing was, and I can't even tell you because I was going to open a video. So I was going to jump on this and mark out, open a video store. I got in contact with Caballero Home Video. The features were $50. The shorts, the hour ones were $30. That's wholesale to me, no matter how many you bought back then. And that was the price. 50 and 30. So of course they'd mark it up to 99.95. The early rental stores, you know the mom and pop ones that jumped in, it might have been $5 a night for the regular movie, but it was $10 a night for the porn movie. And in a lot of cases,
0: for the porn movies, they would make you put a credit card deposit down in case you didn't return the movie. Because the porn titles were so expensive, a lot of small mom and pop video stores would make you put, put your credit card down in case you didn't return the movie as a deposit.
1: Yeah, well either that or you want to put a kid, well I had to put a hundred dollar bill down one time
0: but it also shows that people like Charles Band and then very shortly after him, Lloyd Kaufman and people of of that nature, they saw this while Fox and Warner Brothers and Disney and all of the big companies just stayed away they let the Charles Bands and the Lloyd Kaufmans do all the legwork and then they came in, it's the same thing with streaming, how it was Lloyd Kaufman, Charles Band, J.R. Bookwalter these people, these were what Hulu and Netflix had in their early days, then once they became established, it's like, yeah, we don't want to know you no more. Now Fox and Disney are talking to us
1: that's the whole thing and you know it, it, it's it's a history and it's like you know we're talking corporate America dude you know that, that's, the, that's the way they work Roger Corman said it best you know you even you know you even brought this up one time that when Jaws and Star Wars came out Roger Corman says they finally figured it out they're willing to let everybody else take the lumps on the way up and then all of a sudden they swoop in with the big bucks and turn it all to their advantage that's the problem let's go back to 1978 so
0: you said you bought Night of the Living Dead and Assault on Precinct 13 which as I just read off that media list, List. Those were Mita tapes. Those hit a certain kind of market. Charles Band said he was shocked at how many of these tapes he sold. Cause he didn't think everyone's out, you know, a sold in Precinct 13 wasn't a bomb in theaters. Your average housewife in suburbia, he didn't think would be clamoring for her husband to go buy Night of the Living Dead. But they did. No one, no one was able to predict what video did. This was Almost literally a
1: media revolution, wasn't it? Like like I said, because no, nobody – you know, the whole thing was if you wanted to see, you know, especially, you know, my specialty's grindhouse stuff, and if you wanted to see that type of stuff, you were – you know, it wasn't going to be your – you know, toward the end – grindhouse-type films were hitting the multiplexes, you know, in, you know, suburban and stuff like that. But prior to that, you could only see this stuff, you know, in 42nd Street inner-city theaters, you know, pretty ghetto areas, shaky areas, sketchy areas, as they say today. Okay, I come up in the 70s. I saw all the really cool stuff in the 70s. And you had drugs back in the 70s, but you really didn't have, except for PCP, stuff that made you completely, utterly psychotic. Then we segue into the 80s, and crack hits the thing. Well, you know, these people just or bonkers, and they attack people for no reason, you know, you'd rob them or whatever. Why would you go into a theater and take a chance on dealing with that nonsense and all the other weird shit that was going on when you could just actually, for the same amount of money, rent the video, go home and watch it in the safety of your own home? And then, yeah, as you said with, you know, the porn, you know, when, you know, when you don't have to worry about somebody else helping you out. That's kind of what I
0: wanted to look at tonight. What a revolution this was. Since you were there ground level, how quickly did the video revolution start to erode on the grindhouses it, it would still take a couple more years but okay Charles Band had Media Entertainment which he he was unhappy with his partners in media he didn't expand on that from what i've read they were kind of gangsterish so he sold his stake in Media which then then they turned into Media and he went and made Wizard Video just again forward thinking he said Okay, I've got these movies. What about making movies specifically for home video that are never meant to be displayed? Cause up to this point, movies are either meant to be, you know, a television movie or they're meant to be played theatrically, a drive-in, something like that. Right. But what if we make movies For the video market and then he also he took all these grindhouse movies all the italian flicks the spanish flicks and he was the one who brought them to america more wide wide release with wizard home video i'm sure that at at some point started to really erode on the grindhouses as there's this new kid on the block taking our business
1: yeah well the the whole thing i don't know if you know this you know wizard was the first one to release texas chainsaw massacre there was a bidding war over that I don't remember who was involved in it, but I do know that I, the people with Caballero when I was opening the store, they were distributing wizard product and I would get like a, a price sheet. Texas Chainsaw was 10 bucks higher wholesale than any of the other tapes because there was they, they, it something went down with some kind of money deal. He brought over, you know, he got zombie you know he got a bunch of the Franco stuff that he retitled you know he's got a, he had a lot of the Italian zombie flicks yeah. were, were I mean he blew he, you know the big box stuff just blew up you know it was huge but you know in truth though a lot of the stuff you know it was a 50-50 deal with that stuff cuz a lot of it just sucked you know like Oasis of the Zombies eh, you know that type of thing there was another another outfit called All Seasons Video that released martial arts but they also released a lot of the Paul Nashe stuff too and they were big box didn't Didn't this start to take away from the grindhouse?
0: Because, as we've already pointed out, you didn't have to maybe deal with a crackhead or, you know, some guy pimping up his girls in the lobby— to go see Zombie or Oasis of the Zombies or whatever, whatever right. weird Spanish, you know, horror flick you're going for. Now you could just buy it. I'm sure the Grindhouses were
1: pissed off at this point. Well, they, they probably not,
0: didn't like Charles Band sure, very much.
1: I'm not so sure if they were pissed off. or you know, The whole thing was you sort of had to be there. Because I started going over, you know, to 42nd Street, mid-60s. And, you know, we're dealing with theaters that were built at the turn of the century that were, like, almost indestructible. But, you know, everything everything that takes a beating starts to fall apart after a while. And part of the thing was that, you know, the outfits that owned these theaters weren't really into, like, putting money into them to keep them up. So you had marquees that were crumbling broken you know display windows you know the bathrooms were all beat to shit at this point they were just letting them be run down that being said there wasn't you know a lot of the stuff that was coming out you know you didn't have guys anymore that could get their stuff out like ted michaels and david friedman and stuff because they'd all switch you know ted you know for you know his own budgetary problems and david switched to hardcore x stuff at this point the major studios were you know Like I said, here's Friday the 13th. That was the death knell because all of a sudden these big studios found out that slasher films are really cheap and easy to make. And they could pack them into the movie theaters. Yeah, they ran on 42nd Street, but they ran everywhere else, too. Home video did put a dent in it because the, the stuff that, you know, I like to see was all all being, you know, re- released at home video at this point. Even though some of these theaters were still running, you know, stuff as old as the Corpse Grinders, like on the bottom of a double bill in the 80s. But the thing was, you know, like I said, the security in the theaters were horrible. The crowd had deteriorated to a bunch of dirtbags looking for problems and crackheads, you know, and then, you know, people cruising and stuff. The whole area just was like falling apart at this time and people always say well don't you miss it i said i miss the era i knew not the era it became because it was a mess it had a lot of you know spirit back in the 60s 70s up until like maybe i'd say 82 video started really hammering hard about mid 80s everybody had to see what the new thing that came out was no matter what it was so they'd run to the video store rather than run to the movies on a friday night and you know like i said The places weren't kept up. They were dangerous, and they were, you know, all going by the wayside. So you can even look, there was even pictures on Facebook of, like, how bad, you know, you look up, and here's this hole, like, it's ready to fall down on you from the marquee. Well, the theaters, you know, if you went to a daytime screening, you look up, you could see the sunlight through the holes in the ceiling. They weren't maintaining the place, so... Yeah, obviously, only you know your low-end hardcore, you know, whatever would be there because the price was right because it was still cheap admission compared to the rest of the places. And usually, it became a, a crash pit for junkies and homeless people toward the end of the run. But yeah, home video, you know, had a big part in that because it just took took the people out of out of the theaters. There's also
0: another element to this as well, and that is. Home video was available to anyone. The grindhouses were only available in the big cities. You would have to go to L.A., Chicago, New York, Milwaukee, Dallas. Places like that had grindhouses. Video, some kid in Ohio could get the the same movie they could get a weird jess franco movie for the same price that also was probably a huge draw for people something like fulci's zombie might be playing a three-hour drive from you or i can just go get it from the video store on
1: the block yeah but you know they weren't coming out simultaneously though but yeah, but, yeah but, you read see, about it in
0: fagoria and a lot of- and then all of a sudden you can go see that without having to tr-
1: to go into the sketchy neighborhood Well, that was going to be my point, because a guy like you was out basically what I would think is the middle of nowhere. More or less. You know? So uh, unless you had drive-ins out there, you weren't really getting, you know, the cool stuff. Like you said, you'd read about it in Fangoria or, you know, I'm not even going to use that as a yardstick. Uh, you know, there was the, with Rick Sullivan's Gore Gazette, which pointed out the really sleazy horror stuff and whatever. Psychotronic, which was really good Uh to a lesser extent. Sleazoid Express, which just became it toward the end, you know, a, a thing for him that brought his drug problems and stuff. Then also, you know, Mike Accomando's Dreadful Pleasures, you know, because he used to go over there a lot, too. So, you basically had you know these fanzines written by guys in the New York area that actually went into these places, and these fanzines are reaching guys like you out in the Midwest, you know the south, and you know uh places where they usually wouldn't get so fans like you, me, and whatever I read them too. I already know this stuff, but you know guys out in the middle of nowhere they didn't never seen this stuff, so yeah, they're gonna seek out the video video cassette that other thing you know I don't know. Before you want to go into this, that gave birth to one of the most influential companies in the world, Something Weird Video.
0: See, I, I've always had a problem with something weird. I mean, yeah, they put out some good stuff, but I've heard nothing but bad things about the people that ran it. A lot of friends of mine have been ripped off by something weird, and just as of as a casual consumer of something weird, I always hated how they would put their little bug in the corner. The SWV was always in the corner of the movie movie like we would later see in the 90s on television with a little corner bug they would always put their stamp on it so no one could steal their video even though if you listen to the stories they stole most of the prints that they ended up putting on there and it kind of had this you don't steal from me even though i stole it from you i i, I have well, issues with the people that ran something weird i've heard nothing but bad things about these people okay well let,
1: let me let me clarify let me clarify something what happened was there was a bunch of guys Something weird, Chiller Theater, somebody down south. All these guys were doing stuff, and none of it was f***ing illegal. Something weird, Mike Vraney had put out a film that Dave Friedman owned. Dave Friedman got a hold of him and basically threatened to break his legs. Mike, being the shrewd operator he is, turned it around and said, Mr. Friedman, I'm so glad you've got a hold of me. I want to put out your films legitimately. So, you know, Dave was one of these old school guys, and you have to realize all these old school guys like Nick Phillips, Dave, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, they never saw anything past the theatrical run of these things. That was it. They ran, they made their money, the films were shelved, and they went on to the next project. So Dave was trepidatious. He licensed Mike maybe a dozen two dozen films. As soon as the first check came in, he goes, how much more of this you want to do? So that forced them pretty much to go legit. And I know what you're saying. Everybody in this business steals. I don't care if it's something weird Alpha Blue Archives, everybody steals in this business. It's the nature of the beast. Did he screw a bunch of people? Yeah. Did a bunch of people screw him? Yeah. I've seen and heard it all. I'm not going to say it's right. I'm not going to say it's wrong. You know, there's two sides of every story. His side, their side, and the truth. I got my start there. I can't badmouth Mike. Sadly, Mike Passed away of uh, stage four lung cancer, which is a horrible way to go. Uh, his wife is still keeping it going in spirit. Say what you want, but you know a lot of these these people would have never ever. Put their films out for anybody else but something weird because Harry Novak stuff has not shown up since something weird and a lot of other things, you know, since the licenses have expired. But you know, love them or hate them. A lot of this stuff would have never seen the light of day if it wasn't for something weird. And especially with the assist of Frank Hennen Lauder, who got involved with the whole thing. Frank tipped him off to a huge warehouse find in New York, which they got a lot of titles out of it. So, um, and also another, another one, you know, that was good back in the day, Sinister Cinema. They were a groundbreaker. I mean, you don't hear that much about him anymore because, uh, sadly, he just announced his last catalog came out. Pretty much, Greg is going to hang it up. But here's another company that went after guys like us. And they were hugely inf- influential because they would find the stuff and put it out before anybody else did. And when, say, Sam Sherman decided he's going to put out the Blood Island stuff, they stopped. You know, when somebody else was going to put something else out, they stopped. But they would get the stuff off 16 and 35 millimeter prints. And for a while, they were one of the only places you could go to to get some of this stuff, like Attack of the Giant Leeches, uh, Giant Heel Monster, Killer Shrews, all that stuff. And there was another couple. Uh, there was Channel 13 video. So... There was a lot, a lot of mail order, cat, you know, companies that all, all worked out of the magazines until, you know, the wonders of the Internet popped up. So, you know, as far as the innovators go, you know, like I said, Sinister Cinema, something weird in a couple, even Chiller Theater. He was coming up with a bunch of stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about all these guys. I wanted an attack of the crab monsters. I paid a guy 50 bucks for a used beta tape because nobody had this. So I went home. I had a Betamax player. I made 10 copies on Max L, Gold H, you know, high quality tape, whatever. I sold a copy to the guy who ran Chilla Theater for I don't know how much just to get my money back. He put it in his catalog. Within two months of him putting it in his catalog, it was in everybody's catalog. Everybody was buying the damn thing because the quality was so good and copying it and throwing their catalog. So that's how Wild West the whole, you know, VHS mail order thing
0: was. That also brings up the legalities because the mob is never going to look at an opportunity and not accept it. Now, obviously not every company, but the mob really bootlegged. A lot of videos in this era. We're talking the early to mid-80s. You used to work... Oh, with- the mainstream stuff? The mainstream stuff? The mainstream stuff, and especially the porn stuff. They were real big oh, the into ones. the bootlegging the porn stuff, because up in, up until Behind well, uh, the Green Door, you couldn't even copyright porn films, because they weren't considered art, so they were non-copyrightable, so the mob was like, what are you going to do about it? With you... You used to work for New York liquidators who had one of the biggest bootleg video busts of all time. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? The segue to the whole
1: thing because I, I started, you know, like we didn't get into this. I started wheeling and dealing video. I saw the money in it and I started buying out mom and pop stores that were folding up and I'd go in and say, call me when you get down to the Drek because to them the Drek was the horror and cult movies. Of course you get a bunch of crap with them, but that's what I was looking for. So I had already started like a whole flea market business with, with tapes and stuff like that. And I was always looking. So one guy, one of my stops goes, I can get, you know, he shows me this list of what he can get and it's all like new releases. And I'm like, "What?" they hot? And he goes, well, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, fine. He shows up with stuff like Red Scorpion and Die Hard and Amore wraparound boxes. And I'm like, I can't sell this stuff. Well, I was to find out it came out, you know, he yelled at me for something. And he says, next time, go get the stuff yourself. And I said, well, if I knew where to go, I'd go. And he goes, around uh, about West 27th Street down by uh, 7th Avenue, blah, 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 by FIT. And I'm like, well, that's telling me a lot. So I drive down there on a Sunday, and I see this place, New York City Liquidators. And I'm like, all right. I had heard of the guy's name was Norman Brill. He got busted for phony Rolexes, you know, years before this. So I walk in. I said, look, you know, I, I know so-and-so. He told me to come down. He said, you know, he goes, well, what do you do? I says, well, I buy you stuff, and I buy porn. So he gave me a deal on some porn and that's where my relationship started after i started going there a while i started seeing you know looked like new releases behind the counter under glass and he had documented the dead so i'm like i really wanted to see that movie i go, like, how much is it oh for you i'll give you a special price 14 bucks this is like a 60 movie so i'm like all right i'm looking at this i don't see it could have fooled me perfect Nope, label, everything right down. You know, it looked perfect. So I'm okay. So then, you know, comes the fruition that, you know, this is what he's doing. He's bootlegging, and it's going to get on a larger scale. So he started bringing in a ton of stuff. Like everything in the beginning, you know, the stuff, you really couldn't tell the difference. Then there was this influx of Chinese-made VHS tape, and they all started using it. And the tape quality was horrible. Then all of a sudden, they cheaped out a little bit on the boxes. And the boxes were a little bit off his delivery day was like on a Thursday because the new releases came out on a Friday. You'd see this, I, you know, and the thing was, he opened at 7.30 in the morning, so for me to get over there and get a parking space, because I wasn't commercial, I'd get ticketed. I had to get there half o'clock in the morning, so usually I'd be hanging out with my truck in front of the store and this little battered, you know, Subaru station wagon would pull up and they'd be offloading boxes that said blank tapes in them. So they'd they bring them in, run them in the back room and start shrink wrapping them and the ink is still wet on the boxes. Like I said, you know, they started cheap out and things started happening so one day i went in there and he was all nervous about something and i had something that i shouldn't have had and i wanted to get rid of it and i asked if he wanted it. he goes oh no 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 there's a, I got too many problems here he goes you know those tapes in the back i said yeah, you know the, the he goes go in and take whatever you want for a dollar he's bailing out so i'm like i'm not stupid so i go in and i load up you know half more garbage but i needed the boxes to match up all this stuff that i had i go back you know the next week to see what's going on well, business is usually he's got fantasia on the counter fantasia what the you're out of your you're out of your mind dude That's Disney they, they, they don't mess around they'll they'll shut you down for. no, no, no I got no problems I ain't got no problems all these other guys were telling me you know you're gonna get nailed going over I said I'm not doing anything I'm not buying you know bootlegs I'm buying his used tapes whatever deals he has in porn that's about it I'm at one of my part time jobs all of a sudden my phone rings and somebody goes turn on channel 7 eyewitness news it finally happens. so I turn on the news they're marching everybody out in handcuffs and I'm like holy they finally got him so it was all over all over the front page of the daily news biggest you know counterfeit piracy ring bump it up 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 morgan falls out there with piles of tapes and they're going we found this and we found that and we found animal porn and all this other wonderful stuff and i'm like holy fuck, man they must have tore the place apart all right everybody knows so i don't know he was in R- rikers island or the tombs or whatever uh, i guess for about a week so nobody knows what's going on. I'm up at one of my stops, and somebody goes, "Hey, Norman's opening up today." I'm like, oh, "I gotta go out and see what's going on." So. I go down and I go, oh, man, I feel bad for you, dude. I go, I I don't know if I can do anything for you. I go, I just feel really, really horribly you finally got nailed. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, it comes with the territory, this and that. He goes, you want to do me a favor? Go flag down that garbage truck up, up the street. And I'm like, all right. So I go down and I tell the driver and, you know, Norm wants to see you in the thing. The driver walks in, money changes hands. All of a sudden, the stock boys are carting out what the FBI didn't find, all the stuff that was under the tables and things. That pretty much ended that whole thing. But, you know, the funny part was, I ended up going over to work for him, and part of my thing was don't do anything that's going to get me arrested. And I says, you know, you got two federal pops, and there's a three-strike law. The next time you go, you go down, you're done, and that's it. I, I try to keep a leash on it, but it was funny. We we go to these auctions and buy out like you know these stores and stuff, and some of the stuff. I'd laugh. I go, hey, here's some of your stuff from the old days. I crack up because the boxes were wrong. Oh, and another thing that you know went on over there, like you said, you know, there, there was that whole gray area with the porn, you know, legal, illegal, you know, whatever you could do. The worst thing you could do to Norman is come in with your homemade quote porn with because amateur stuff was really hot around then. Come in with your own homemade porn, be it amateur bondage, porn, whatever, in an amory or a wraparound case and try to sell it to him. What he would do is goes. Let, let me hold on to this for a day, and uh, I'll see if anybody's interested. The minute you're out of the store, this thing's in the back room getting copied. Do you know what got him
0: busted? Was there an informant? The, the, the feds were watching him. Do you know what, what happened, got him busted?
1: What, happened, what I think happened was he he. Had, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of coke going on around there with his help, and he was paying these guys big money because he was making big money. Well, one of the guys he had there was named Steve. He was an auctioneer. And he, I came down there early and we're all hanging out in front. And he goes, "You know something? This is blah, blah, blah. he's bad and He's all wired wired to the eyeballs." And he goes, "I saw the thing on TV last night." He goes, "I could get thirty thousand dollars turning these guys in because this, that, and the other thing." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I really don't want to hear this." I'm thinking, I'm listening, but I'm thinking I don't want to hear this because this this sounds to me like he's up something. The story I heard was that Norm had a habit of picking up phones and even dro- eavesdropping conversations, and Norm had a ma- heard him making a deal to make stuff go out the back door, so he fired him. Coincidentally, a week later, the raid happened. That's my theory, you know, but the whole thing was so out in the open, and the cops even knew. I mean, the cops would come in there and he'd give them free tapes, you know? <laughs> Along those lines, what about the
0: less commercial bootlegging? Like, I, I know anyone who listens to this—if you not not nowadays because they're much more legit—but if you went to a comic book convention or you know Chiller Theater or something like that in the nineties or early 2000s, there were always bootlegs of like unaired television pilots, weird movies recorded off of Japanese laser, you know, the uncut version of the Beyond. The only way you could yeah, get right. it was off a Japanese laser disc and you'd have all these VHSs, every episode of the Ralph Bakshi Spider-Man on like four VHS tapes being sold, because you know, remember, the companies were not putting this stuff out. The bootleg market will always, will always find a way to fill that gap. People want this stuff if you won't put it out well someone else will i remember when i first got on the internet one of the reasons i got on the internet back in like 97 might even have been late 96 was for bootlegging because i used to i got yeah. i got married in the early 90s and one of the gifts my brother gave me and you know this is pre-internet was he gave me this printout of a bunch of bootlegs and he asked me to pick what one i wanted and that was going to be my wedding gift from him because that's the way it used to be you you'd mail these these flyers that had your whole inventory and you know I want this I want this and then you'd arrange everything through the mail and i remember the internet made that so much much easier. One of the first things I did, I bootlegged video product online, and, and I'm not talking about streaming or torrents. We put our lists online, and we did it with VHS tapes. It was just, it was almost
1: too easy, you know. What would happen was guys in the know would fly to Japan and buy the laser discs over there because they would have the English track on them and they haven't either you know tried they you know don't forget you're going this is before all this you know 9 pre, this is pre 911 where you could basically walk on a plane with a bomb you know they go over there by a bunch of japanese lasers, This either either bring them bring them back in their luggage or have them shipped back and they go to town. Other guys I knew would go to Italy and, uh, you know, they, they were, they were going to Italy for business and stuff like that. And they would get, you know, the PAL tapes over there and bring them back and transfer them. I mean, don't forget, you, you know, you had luminous film and video that you used to set up at conventions and what, another one, if it wasn't for him, people got turned on to a lot of cool stuff because of his stuff. The other thing was, you know, Rick Sullivan had his own, you know, private library. Rick was in film distribution. I think he worked for Terry Levine. He would take print, you know, before it got back to the warehouse of like say cannibal holocaust and take it somewhere and have it film chained and make, make a VHS master out of it. He had the private, you know, uh, Gorgazette private library listings in the back of the back of the newsletter. So, guys were doing this because they knew, which, I mean, Chiller Chiller was notorious.
0: You'd go to any kind of nerd gathering, whether it's a comic book convention, a movie convention, anything like that. There were always bootleg videotapes being sold there. They, at least, were not dumb enough to bootleg mainstream stuff, stuff that was commercially available. I've got this great 60 Minutes piece from 1979 about theatrical bootlegs, where, you know, they send the undercover hidden cameras into a, a video shop. And they've got all the, well, do you got Superman? And well, I do, but there's some tracking issues. And what about Star Wars? And none of this stuff is commercially available. And it's, it's it's theatrical prints. They would have the theatrical prints. They would have somebody smuggle it out because you would, back then you would have to change the reels. So after you show Real One, then Real One gets put back. So you can give Real One to somebody and then they go and make a dupe of it on video and you do that and the theater never knows. And that, that's how these theatrical bootlegs got out there this was a big business the studios because they were still you know a little jumpy at this time the bootleg the bootleg scene only exists because the studios refuse to fill that gap yes i'm blaming the studios for them getting bootlegged put this stuff out people won't
1: bootleg it well there was all there was a whole thing because you, you know what it is with the import over here is i'll give you an example we got hit by toho over at chiller. They came in and they, they knew exactly who they were looking for and they got them. Big time. Godzilla Flicks or some of the other stuff? Godzilla Flicks and some of the other stuff, but it wasn't the fa- it was just the fact that, you know, no company over here would release the stuff. That was the problem. Norm Norman, that was even Norman had some of that stuff. You know, when they started doing you know the better Godzilla stuff, you know when they when they when they when they took it away from being you know a kids thing, to, you know back to the way it was back in the nineties. So we weren't getting that stuff over here legally. So you know that, that's what it was. But Toho, they were right on it. We got hit one time. It was weird. They were being nice. It was a woman and a guy from the MPAA came through and they went up to the promoter and said, if these four vendors aren't out of here by six o'clock tonight, the show's getting closed down you're not gonna be able to open tomorrow two of them no problem closed up got out one of them the godzilla guy started giving us crap my guys just jumped over the thing and started throwing stuff in boxes you're out of here luminous i saw him coming and I, i ran by luminous i go this 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 get it off the table now so they he didn't get nailed but these other guys, they were just blatant. But you know, you, you know, they came in one time. Somebody was selling Waterworld, and they, they it was the people from Universal came in. They were looking at for over everybody's stuff. And one of the guys said on the side, he goes, "We well, you know the movie's horrible. We just can't afford to have it come out right now." So this stuff has gone on for a while. I mean, it still goes on with DVDs now. I mean, you, you go to any flea market, there's guys selling current movies in white sleeves for five bucks, three for ten.
0: Well, and sometimes, do you have you ever seen Poultry Guys Night of the Chicken Dead from Trauma? I've heard of it. Lloyd Kaufman said, and he's not sure how this happened, there were Chinese bootleg DVDs already on the shelf a month before the movie opened, and they hadn't even struck a final print yet. He doesn't know where they got their goddamn copy, but they had an almost perfect quality copy of what was essentially a work print with no time codes. It was already being bootlegged in China before the goddamn final edit had been locked down. He doesn't know how that happens.
2: Well,
1: when I when when I put out Hitler's Harlot, we only sold like uh one copy, and within an hour it was downloaded from some torrent site over a hundred times. So it's like you can't win with these people. And you know, on that note, you're scumbags. Anybody who does that, you know, you want to do it to the major companies, knock yourself out because they got billions of dollars. When you do it to guys like me and something weird and Alpha Blue and uh, Synapse and them. You're f***ing my little companies and you're screwing us. And and then what's going to happen is there ain't be no, no more cool stuff coming out because we're going to go out of business. So, you know, think about it before you, you, you support these torrent sites and things like that.
0: What I find really funny is, and I have no right to be mad about this, and, and I'm not mad about it, but it does irk you a little bit. Because I used to be a video bootlegger in the late 90s, I would see, because I would, back in that day, I'm sure you know, Pete, everything had to be duped in real time. It's not like now where you put a DVD in and three minutes later you have an exact digital 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 copy of that, right? You had to do it in real time. If the movie's 93 minutes, it's going to take 93 minutes to make one copy. So I used to always have some movie or TV show or something playing in the background with the volume down, so I knew exactly where the tape hits were, maybe where a commercial was edited out or something like that. You wouldn't believe how many of my copies, my bootlegs, and that's what I'm going to call them, my bootlegs, I see on YouTube, and it just,
1: I don't know why, but it f***ed irks me just a little bit oh I, I bootlegged the tanya harding video i made my own box and everything and then guess where it wound up liquidators i laughed when i saw it because it was like 10 years after the fact it was a bunch of old stuff i pulled it out and i said i really have to show you this because i'm laughing my ass off just seeing this i said this is the first this is the first one i ever did I'll I'll admit I did stuff, but the only money I ever made was the quirky stuff, like with the Pam Anderson, Tommy Lee one. I made bank on that one. I didn't didn't even have a box for it. Well,
0: I remember when that was everywhere. Everyone wanted that. Let's get back to just video and its revolution. As VHS and video, you know, beta is a dead format at this point. Laserdisc is more or less a collector's only format because they never marketed Laserdisc correctly. Yeah, they killed us on that. So by this point, we're talking the early 90s, the mid Nineties DVD doesn't exist yet. Video is so ubiquitous. I mean, I'm sure you remember just going into the local grocery store and them having Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the fog VHSs in crappy boxes with just like a still image on the cover instead of the actual poster art, a still image on the cover for $3.99 at the checkout line. That's when it became so ubiquitous that it stopped being a revolution.
1: Well, you know what happened? What happened was too, especially with the adult stuff and the sell through stuff, it was always, let's see how, how low we can go. Well, you got to a certain point because you could, you were paying for basically the blank tape, the insert in the big box. Unlike, you know, what's going on today with DVDs where you can get them replicated out of the country for like pennies. There was like a, a sticking point because you couldn't go – you'd kill yourself if you went any lower than a certain price because basically I figured – I'm just going to throw it a figure. It was costing them like a buck and a quarter to make, make one of these, you know, tapes. And everybody cheaped out. You know, the other thing we don't you know, talk about is a lot of the porn companies, you know, the low-end ones that are run by cheapskates that just were doing – remember when they started doing footage tapes, like the hour ones, hour, two-hour, four-hour? Are, are, are you
0: talking crap. about the ones where it's not actually a movie? It's just like a collection of scenes from right, other movies? That, yeah.
1: These guys were buying – up old stock, like from video treasures and copying over that stuff and putting a silver label on top of it because they were silk screened in, you know, on the plastic. Cause I went, I went to a, a trade show one time and it was like a, a bulk buy of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, 2 on Meta. Uh, no, it was on video treasures and it was cut down to like, you know, the middle speed, the 60 minute blank. It was like thirty five thousand of them there's no way I'm interested, but somebody grabbed them and they put porn over them they, you know they did the comp things so even they were even even used rentals they were they were taping over at one point so everybody was trying to cheap out but if you were you gonna use you know fresh material you know new blank tape new insert whatever it was about a buck and a quarter so you know you'd buy them you you could buy porn in bulk for like a you know buck seventy five they were making fifty cents or whatever but then I don't know it it got when the DVDs came it was like okay, they started off high and then it got down to the point. I could, if I could buy a hundred for like 75 cents at one point with those comp tapes. I remember you could always tell, not just with
0: porn, but sometimes with the lower end, you know, like those companies that would put out the public domain movies, you know, Killer Shrews, yeah. Night of the Living Dead, you see them at, at Walmart every Halloween in the 90s. Yeah. You could always tell they were unused tape because this was the thing with tape. If it's a brand new unused tape, it'll look clean. But yeah. even if it'll look clean, if you've, de- even if you've degaussed the tape or you're just taping over whatever was on there before, remember there would always always be a couple of seconds of that little rainbow sort of double exposure right at the beginning. It you always would see this on these public domain tapes. You'd see that little rainbow go up the screen for a couple of seconds because when you're taping over something, even if you've degaussed the tape, there's still technically a residual image on there. And so when you're taping over it for a second or two, those two images are laid on top of one another. And that always disappointed me when I'm like, you cheap bastards. Not only are you putting out an SLP, low quality dub of Night of the Living Dead or Last Man on Earth, you had to you make a used tape for it. You cheap bastards. Oh, you remember the story about Toys R Us
1: that had the kids tapes with the porn on the end of them?
0: I heard something about that, that, yeah, because, like, you know, the the, the tape would actually be, like, you know, an hour and 45 minute of tape. The movie would only be, you know, an hour 30 or something, and they would just stop when the movie was done and not realize, because they were taping over hardcore porn, that after maybe a minute or two of black, all of a sudden there's porn
1: on there. What happened was, see, they, they were, they were like, these were like, uh, 30 minutes of, of, um they wanted cheap cartoons. This guy down in South Jersey named, he was Video Wholesalers of America, I think, or something. Or no, Video Warehouse. He was one of the first guy, one of the first guys to get into this stuff. He, he was flipping this porn stuff and he goes, I got a deal for you. I'm going to send you this case, you know, and they're really good and whatever it was. It was like two bucks cheaper than they usually were. So I went for it. Well, they were porn tapes that were done on a slow speed on a 30 minute blank and they're horrible. So he got them all back. So what happened was his help, which was a motley collection of alcoholics and junkies were told to run these public domain cartoons over the porn. But the public domain cartoon reels were only 20 minutes, but he told these guys to run them out. Well, they didn't run them out. As soon as the damn thing stopped, they popped them out, rewound them, and threw them in the boxes. That's how that happened.
0: I once bought a tape. It was just like a a, a, bl- a blank tape. Because, see, I used to buy stuff people would record off TV when they would give the tapes to Goodwill and stuff like that. Because y- you'd find some really weird stuff on these, you know, stuff that have never been put out on video and things like that. And I found one. I was, you know, I watched whatever the movie was. And then after that, I... I have to assume it was the couple. It was a camcorder sex tape. And
1: I'm just like, oh, I am not supposed to be seeing this. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You still see VHS at the flea market. Even today I was up there and I saw it. It it hasn't gone away yet. You know, it's funny because they said the image was only good for at the most 20 years. And some of these tapes have been laying around for a lot longer than that. People are still playing them. So go figure.
0: I have one of the very first releases of Animal House it will not track anymore. No, no, I cannot find a VCR that will track it. The tracking strip is just completely gone. But in a lot of cases, VHS is made a lot better than DVD. Now, obviously, I love VHS, and I know you had an affinity for it as well. Why do you think the generation who didn't grow up with it seems to love it because nowadays a lot of these people that are making all these movies with the VHS tape hits all over it and all this, they didn't grow up in the freaking 80s. They didn't grow up with video or uh, they grew up with it at the tail end. What is it about VHS that makes it alluring? Is it
1: just this sort of low-res weirdness? You know, I I notice, you know, th- there's like a cross-section, like I'm, I'm the grindhouse drive-in guy for regular films and stuff like that, and then I would say you're like the video store guy, and now we're, you're talking about people that are going into the 90s, right? Yeah. I don't know. I never, you know, I'm kicking myself in the ass because I dumped my, you know, all my tapes cheap, but I never thought there'd be a reef market for this thing, you know, because DVDs were just so easier to use. You know, I, I was going to be, you know, it, it, it's like I was going to get gonna be winning the holdouts. I'll be honest with you. I'm not switching. I'm not going to switch over my collection to DVD, this and that and the other thing. And Frank Hanenlotter, who has a huge VHS collection, used to come into Liquidators. He goes, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. One day he comes in, he looks at me, he goes, Pete. I go, what? He goes. I just bought The Wolfman on DVD. It looks beautiful. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Now I gotta go do it. So then I started replacing my stuff with this. And of course we get sucked into the Blu-ray and the next will be something else. I, I think, I think, I, I can't see them going in any further than Blu-ray at this stage. What, what else can you possibly do? You know, have, have like, you know, watch porn, have one of the actresses step off the screen and, you know, do here or whatever. I don't get it. I, I can't see it going any further, but you, you know, it's just like you said, I don't. I don't know what it is, it's the allure of the whole thing, but like, you know, the, the guys, the, the, these... You know, I'm going to call them kids for lack of better words. You know, they're, they're not collecting mainstream stuff. They're collecting all the weird stuff that we like. Well, part of that has to do with rarity. A
0: lot of the really rare tapes out there, the ones that'll fetch 100 to, $100 to $150, are the ones who, for whether it's a rights reason or something, no one is putting out on DVD. I mean, e- even the bootleg DVDs are just copies of the VHS tape with tape hits and everything. So I, the rare stuff stuff what i love about vhs is there's stuff that will never be legally put out in a streaming format or in a dvd format there is stuff that legally will never see the light of day except for old vhs tapes off ebay or bootlegs and that's one of the things that i love about the piracy scene and i'm not talking piracy and avengers Endgame from a camcorder cut i'm talking yeah. the sh**. You cannot get anywhere else. That's the stuff I love and live for.
1: Well, that's that's the whole thing. That that's why there was a market for it because you know, drawing back to something weird, video. No, nobody thought any of that stuff was any good back then. There was no there was absolutely no market for it until people realized how really cool it was. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the studios feel that, you know, isn't, it shouldn't be out and they don't care about it. So, you know, like you said, you got some on VHS and I'm sure there's a lot more of it floating around out there. I just wish the studios would, would see that,
0: that the piracy gap that they bitch about is caused by them. Like, I'm just going to bring up like Sequest, the old the TV show, the Roy Scheider, Michael Ironside TV show. They put out seasons one and two. They didn't sell well. So season three, they never put out. Well, season three is the last season. Guess which one is bootlegged a lot? Put season three out and the bootleg scene will vanish, guys. Instead of you bitching about people
1: bootlegging Sequest, just put it out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they do it because, you know, you know, how many, how many of these companies have just leased almost their their whole, you know, genre libraries to Mill Creek? They do. Mill Creek to me is the something weird video
0: kind of sleaze bags all over again with them putting their bug in the corner or they used to do that till people bitch too much them not really having the rights to some of their stuff There's been a lot of stories about people going, I don't know why Mill Creek is putting my movie out because I still own it and I've never been contacted by them.
1: How about about Cheesy Flicks? You think he's paying the rights to any of that stuff?
0: I I used to have a deal with Cheesy Flicks. I used to work with them when I I did It Came From Beyond Midnight. I actually licensed my Beyond Midnight's from them. Whether they had the license or not, I don't know, maybe. You know, I'm just a good little soldier, but I had the paperwork to prove at least as far as I knew I had the rights to the movies I
1: showed on tv if we're gonna wrap this up i'll tell you one thing i had a lot of fun doing it i made a living doing it i met a lot of cool people doing it and i'm just saying it's all over like everything else all good things come to an end Things do come to an end, just like this episode.
0: Where can people find Pete if they wish to contact him?
1: Emails, Purgatory at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook under my real name. Uh Buy my magazine, Grindhouse Purgatory. My autobiography, Whole uh, Bag of Crazy, is still selling well. People like it. You know, I don't put myself over that much, but that's what I'm doing. Plus, blow my horn on this one. I put 8 millimeter Born Out on Blu-ray, which is available at AfterHoursCinema.com, AlternativeCinema.com. So, all my DVDs are for sale there or contact me directly for a better deal. That's the story.
0: You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Remember the Adam and Eve code. Remember the Patreon. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
2: If you feel nothing can shock you, if you say you don't scare easily, if you believe you've seen everything, you haven't seen Ocean pictures. is just the beginning. to acts of unspeakable horror. The only escape is death. (laughs)